Folks, if your financial professional tends to speak in terms of their industry jargon, it can be confusing, but it's important to have clarity, which is why I so recommend Arif Halaby of Total Financial Solutions. My wife Sue and I are Arif's clients because he provided us with such clarity. He is very knowledgeable and capable when it comes to reliable retirement income. Tune into Arif Halaby's show, The Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM 870, The Answer. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategy. Strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now, higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial power. Hey, welcome to the show. Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Hallaby. Appreciate you being with me. Talking about your family's finances. Of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. I love it that uh, some of you are understanding the debt scenario. We're going to talk about some of the things that are going to be taking place as more and more students. And I mean people into their 50s and 60s. And i got a story to tell you. Boy, people are still... Uh, saddled with student loan debt, with a degree that's basically worthless, and now they're ending up in a position of having to pay it back. Right, the scheme that Joe Biden, what we call that vote buying scheme, right, his goal was to fill the system with people people grateful to him, whether it's illegals coming across the border, whether it's uh, young people who have student loan forgiveness, and now they're indebted to him and did the political party into the left wing. That's the whole purpose of it. You understand that it has nothing to do with finances or his empathy towards you. They are being controlled. We know that now. We know that is done. The investigation is full. The receipts are there. The statements are public information in which he received and his family millions of dollars. I think we're up to 22 million is the last track with all these shell corporations where they hide money and they move from company to company to company across the countries of the world. You realize it's it's like organized crime. It's what the mafia does. It it is what criminal organizations do is they move money from place to place under shell corporations. They have attorney practices, right? You hire an attorney in the Cayman Islands, Bahamas, Antigua, any of the islands. And the attorney law firm, they're the one on the corporation. So you have a private contract with them. And the public information is that attorney, the law firm in Central South America, wherever it might be, they are on the title. So they own the corporation. So nobody will ever see Joe Biden's name on it. They'll see it on internal documents. So if the FBI wanted to 
Oh, wait. Wait. Wait, the FBI actually knew this? Wait a second. You mean since 2016, certainly 2017, that's the latest numbers we have, that the FBI actually knew that Hunter Biden was skimming money from various organizations, was heading to various places across the country and asking for money, whether it's in China, uh, political uh, groups, military groups, Communist Party groups, or whether it's in Russia or the mayor of Moscow. You understand, the mayor of Moscow, his wife, and there she is just as powerful if you're not sure, gave them $3 million. I think they think that they're going to get cover from the media, and they probably would, but the media is fairly kind of done with them. So expect Joe Biden. He will not be the nominee. I don't think he's going to be president in the next six weeks. I think he's going to step down. Uh, or at least announce his stepping down uh, very soon. I think the doors will be closing. He's going to be the altruistic, I'm doing this for the family. You keep picking on my son. I love my son. I will sacrifice my career for my family. I think that's the story. There'll be a little drippings and droppings of health. And Kamala will run as an incumbent. Because he has yet to put together the political machine that's required to run for election or re-election. So he just doesn't have it. It's like, it's as if you're saying, I'm going to do something and you're not really doing it. So your mouth does something and your actions do something else. So I don't think he's going to be the candidate. I don't even think he'll be president very soon. I think he's going to step down. Just, just my, uh, just my observation. Could be wrong. I could be off by a few weeks. Maybe looks like that's a better possibility. I thought he'd be done by now. Because you bury it in the holidays, right? People are busy. They're not paying attention. You kind of let it happen and then go on to some other chaos, crisis, catastrophe, something else in the country or the world in this case. All right. So I want to cover a couple of things with you. Uh, This week's edition of Married Teacher Accused of Sexual Battery of a Teen Football Player. Huh. What? Did you say there should be cameras in the school? Maybe we would actually catch cameras in the classroom. Maybe we would actually have or catch teachers. Maybe, just like you guys said, right? Some of you are like, oh, police should have body cams. Yeah, for decades we've been policing the world. And yes, there has been, you know, bad guys, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. But your argument was the bad guys won't even raise their little ugly head in law enforcement. Because they have a body cam. They're, they're worried about getting caught. Well, then let's use that same argument to teachers. Private school teacher married mother of two in South Carolina is accused of having an inappropriate relationship with a teen football player. Pretty, pretty young lady. She's 27. Right? It, it's not that big of a deal she, the, in the sense this young man was 17. Right? If she was 37 and he was 27... Nobody would care. They'd say, oh, look, it's a 10-year age difference. Uh, So what? So what? Oh, but he's 17. He's in her charge as a teacher. South Carolina. Eh, She might get five years in prison. She'll probably do a couple of years, two, three, four years. Wear a GPS monitor now is currently what she has to do. She can't have any contact with his family. Wah, wah, wah. Typical stuff. 
Charleston, South Carolina area. All right, let's think about this. When I tell you that the Los Angeles Unified School District has to have classroom cameras, two of them at least, one facing forward, one facing back, all the hallways, classroom cameras, if your child is registered there, you can log in at any time and watch. You can do security. You can backtrace IP addresses to make sure it's really my computer watching my son and my son's classroom. I I can do that. I can volunteer in the class. Why can't I see? Are you afraid what the teacher's teaching? You see, that's really what it is. We can come in and and indicate that it's not just for, uh, well, the, the sexual conduct conduct or or listen if i was an educator i'd want this all day long why did you just see the one kid two boys two young men oh yeah they killed they beat and killed their spanish teacher baseball bat life in prison 25 years is what they're expected to do if you were an educator would you probably maybe sort of want some sort of cameras now that they removed law enforcement from the classroom setup Right when I when I spent my near eleven years in law enforcement, you know what I did? It was very simple. We had times where it was time to patrol schools, churches, synagogues, football games. Right, there were heightened time frames of different things we had to do. Today, oh uh, please, don't go spend too much time around that classroom. Don't spend too much time, school police, Los Angeles school police. Don't spend any time uh, in in the schools because you're intimidating the 17 year old seven right you're nuts if you think a 17 year old and a 19 year old if there's a lot of difference physically there isn't they can kill they can drink they can have babies they can make babies they can serve in the military there's not a lot of difference between a 15 16 17 year old and an 18 19 20 year old i don't mean mentally right their frontal cortex it's not developed yet. We know that, especially in young men till late, what, age 27? Something like that, right, right in that age, 25, 27. Young women, 23, 25 years old. So we know that, but that's why they make dumb decisions. Some of you, some of me, some of us are still suffering from dumb decisions. I get it. But if you don't think you have to have classroom cameras, I'm telling you, the world would be a much better place I think it would protect educators. I think it would protect students. I think you need to to push for it. You've heard me talk about this before. There needs to be a push. All right, switching gears right now. uh, Reedley, California, the Chinese biolab. Right? Did you know that? Yeah, Reedley. Fresno. Think Fresno, Bakersfield, Central Valley, right up in there. Two-hour drive, just about, from L.A. County. You drive north on the 5 freeway. Bam, little town of Reedley happens to be where my wife's family's from, by chance, many years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. But you understand this is pretty important because it was an illegal Chinese Communist Party biolab in the heartland of California. I don't know. Listen, this stuff is out there. You guys have to research this. You've heard me say time and time again, you find a right financial team, a professional, somebody whose job it is, is to make sure you can live the life that you want to live and not be worried about somebody canceling you or taking away your paycheck. 
That's very important. If they could do this to Tucker Carlson and shut him down and take away his money. Now, his contract was locked in pretty good, so he's, he will still receive his $25 million. But the bottom line is his platform was gone. He's had to reinvent himself. I, I think more people are watching him. I, I know I watched him before, and I watch him now on Twitter, so so I still do. But they removed his platform, didn't they? They tried to silence him. And the the Fox News hatchet woman went after him and he did a cease and desist and bam that that ended in no time didn't it right there's a hatchet woman there there's a pr person that scares the daylights out of every single person from sean hannity on down tucker everybody she makes your life a living hell is what they said she goes after you she calls you names she she releases video she she uh, unnamed sources they do private investigations, private detective work on you as a as a host or co-host or a guest. So if you leave and disparage anybody or anything at the Fox News Network, they go after you hard. Well, Tucker didn't take it sitting down. He has his own family wealth. Most of you know he grew up in a very wealthy family, upper middle class for sure. Today he's very wealthy, tens and tens of millions of dollars. So he did what Elon Musk did. He put his money where his mouth is. He did what I'm telling you to do. Okay, Tucker has a few less zeros than Elon Musk. You might have a few less zeros than Tucker Carlson or anybody else in the news world that has chosen to stand up or in the political world, right? Jordan Peterson, have they gone after him all day long? Candace Owens, are they trying to go after her all day long? Larry Elder, oh... Did they go after him? Yes, they did. So what can you do with your own money? If we provide you a place where you could earn reliable rates of return, reasonable, and never run out of money, maybe that's a chance for you to have some freedom. I'm not sure where your heart is, if that's something that matters to you, but it is something to think about. All right, something else I want to cover before we go in the bottom of the hour here. Because after the bottom of the hour, what I'm going to speak about, I, I think is going to scare you a little bit. I want to talk about charities, what's happening with the NFL and other organizations in the world of charities and charitable organizations. But before we do, touching on this that I think is pretty important, the student loan crisis, you've heard me talk about this countless times probably. Students are filing bankruptcy at record levels. Here's why. Okay, under the Obama administration, and then prior to that, Bush won and Reagan. Okay, here's what took place. I'll give you a little bit of a synopsis so you have a history of it. The Reagan administration was finding that people would go and take student loan, government student loans out, institutional loans from private institutions like banks, backed and secured by the government. They would graduate medical school or law school with at the time was $100,000 in debt, a lot of money back then. Today it's three, four, five hundred or more in student loan debt. And they would throw their little hat up in the air. Yay, clap, clap, clap. Congratulations, great job, good luck, great job, good luck. And they walk out the back door and there were rows of desks from bankruptcy lawyers. Rows of desks. 
handing out business cards. Here you go. Here you go. And before people even took out the student loans, they were beginning to hear the rumblings of how they could discharge debt they had yet to acquire. So look, it's going to take you 20 years to pay back this student loan debt or we file bankruptcy and in one year you get to buy a house and in five years, it's not even really on your record much. And you never had to pay it back under that whole time. I mean, it's still there. It's there for a decade plus, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't hurt you anymore. Especially if you're an attorney or a doctor and you're making good money and you can't file bankruptcy again for a while. Well, people are like, this is good. Creditors said, I'll give you money because I know you can't go anywhere. It's not like you can file bankruptcy one more time. You can't. So next. So what was taking place is people were not giving money anymore to student to, to students to borrow. Started impacting it. So the Reagan administration came down with this pretty heavy rule. And then, as I mentioned, Bush one started watering it down. Bush two, a little bit, not much. But President Obama said, oh, no longer will we have private student loans. Now, really, there's only public student loans. And by the way, the government, the IRS, we are the collection agency. So, so now the government goes after you, if, just like any other IRS debt, like you're a tax cheat, right? You didn't pay your taxes, boom, we'll go after you. We'll cancel your passport, prevent you from traveling. We'll prevent you from getting, uh, from keeping or retaining anything in which you are licensed by any government agency. And you know the outreach of these government agencies. Their job is to license every single thing you do, from being a barber to a contractor to a, a hairdresser to a doctor, a lawyer, plumber. It doesn't matter. You have to be licensed. And most of you think that's okay. Okay, well, remember, if somebody gives it to you, they can also take it from you. So if they say you owe tax debt, not only did they take your, uh, oh, by the way, this also applies to alimony, child support. Now, many of you and, and myself will be like, yes, let's go after those deadbeat dads. But if for whatever reason you couldn't pay your social security debt, by the time you turn on social security, I'm sorry, your student loan debt, by the time you turn on social security, your student loan debt is now part of your debt. Social security wages are garnished and they take some of your social security check. So now along comes the Biden administration who tries to uh, wave a wand and tell people you don't have to pay debt. You don't have to pay debt. You get debt free like, like Oprah. You get a car and you get a car. Right? Remember that? Well, that's not legal. Not for Oprah. She can do whatever she wants. It's her money. But President Biden can't give away your money. Right? You understand Joe Biden has a responsibility. It's to be a good steward of the money. He can't give away your money that you worked for, that you put in taxes, so that somebody who got a stupid degree in, in women's studies or English, and, and they're not going to be an author or work for a journalist newspaper. What, what are they going to do with it? You have to get a job. It's great if you have a brilliant degree in history, but you got to get a job. Who, who wants to hire somebody with that? Look, colleges need to be revamped completely. 
And now that people are filing bankruptcy and Biden administration is making it easier for you to file bankruptcy on student loan debt. Yeah, you might have heard it here first. What was for decades illegal to do is now quietly with the Biden administration. They're they're giving the exemptions is what it's called so that your student loan debt can now be discharged in bankruptcy. Well, here's the problem with that. Besides you and I as taxpayers being cheated again, what they're doing is they're now creating car loans to be seized because unless you renegotiate, some do, but now a car loan has to be renegotiated. So that's gonna make money more expensive. Now people that have credit card debt, department store credit card debt, other debt are now going to be forced into a bankruptcy scenario. You see, if they cannot win people over by giving you money, because ultimately the Supreme Court and other federal courts are saying they keep striking it down. You can't do that. You can't do that. Well, it's nice that you want to do that, Mr. Biden, but you can't. So ultimately, people are in a position of trying to figure out, well, uh, I guess I'm not going to pay this back. I'll file bankruptcy. No, I got an idea. How about you work two jobs? I did. I worked two and three jobs for years. Wouldn't that that be nice? Or, Or maybe just stop spending on four dollar lattes maybe get a roommate yeah yeah that's right you actually have to live with somebody else in the other bedroom and you have this bedroom and they pay half the rent how about you get a job in a place oh i don't like that company it doesn't matter what you like you said to people that you would pay them back and you are not doing it so you better now look i get it for medical reasons I get it that there's, you know, trauma and injury and disability. Okay, I understand that. But that's not what is happening to these young people. You know, Sears Department Store, right? Sears filed bankruptcy. Uh, I think they did now, yeah. But Sears Department Store was was the historically, uh, you know, the 1,000-pound the, the 100, 1, gorilla in the retail space, right? You guys remember Montgomery Ward. You remember Fedco. Jemco, FedMart, remember a lot of these stores are gone. Target ended up acquiring many of them. Well, Sears was still around. Well, Kmart files bankruptcy, discharges its debt, comes out of bankruptcy and buys Sears. What? Yep. So Kmart bought Sears. Because Sears wasn't just a play on the on the store, on the department store. They were a real estate play because they owned a lot of real estate paid off real estate in many cases. But here's what Sears would do. I just uh, That was just a side note, but think about it. When you would file bankruptcy on a Sears credit card, what Sears would do, even if you owed $40 on a washer and dryer, $25 on a refrigerator, and you still owed it, and you were because you just hadn't paid it off yet, and it has to be included in the bankruptcy setup, Sears would send two really big guys to knock on your door and take your three-year-old dishwasher right out of the cupboard. Sears would send people and take your washer machine. Most of the time, they would let you take the clothes out. And these two big guys would come and take that. They would clean them up. 
and they would sell them at various places. They had a, a couple in the valley where they would sell these, uh, you know, used or dinged up or damaged or returned. They'd call it they'd call it all sorts of things, but that's where most of them came from. It was those units that many people thought that, oh, well, Sears is going to write off. It's a big company. It's going to write off $25 that I still owe on that refrigerator. No, they don't. And they did that as a method to hit the hammer hard on people because they were becoming a victim of these fraudulent bankruptcies on a regular basis. And they said, enough is enough. So how is this going to impact you and I? Well, as they start to discharge a lot more of these student loans in bankruptcy, I think the process taking place means there's an entire revamp occurring or should occur in the college uh, system. When we come back, I'm going to give that to you, tell you the only way I think that they can fix the college system as a person who sat on the board of a community college for many years on a, on a community advisory board, I can tell you what I would do to fix that. When we come back after the break, stay with me. It's triple eight ninety nine retire. That's eight 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 nine nine seven three eight four seven triple eight ninety nine retire. I'm Eric Hallaby. Stay with me. We'll continue on AM eight seventy. The answer. We'll be right back. Learn about financial power. The total financial hour. Now, Arif has a financial security. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. I'm Eric Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour, talking about your family's finances. After the top of the hour, guys, we have your emails on the second hour of the show. Your emails, I'm going to answer those. We have some great emails. Uh, one that I think you'd find fascinating and probably is something that's applicable to uh, maybe half of you at least. So when we come back at the top of the hour, that's your emails. Meanwhile, continuing with, uh, I think, the solution to the college scam world some of the things that I find over and over again, and that is uh, the only way to fix, the only way to fix the student loan crisis. If you think people should go to colleges, universities, as part of life, I'm okay with that. I mean, listen, I, I want the person that builds the bridge uh, has better know, uh, better know geometry and trigonometry at levels higher than I learned at Silmar High School, right? LA Unified High School was great, Back then, it was the same 25 of us in whatever honors classes we had. Uh, It wasn't the pinnacle of higher education in the San Fernando Valley. Great place. Amazing teachers. Still probably pretty good educators there, I can imagine. But academically, there wasn't really a stretch except for maybe, you know, the 30, 25, 30, 40 students, whatever it was that went from honors class to honors class. I share that with you because expectations are pretty low for a lot of people. And I think you need to raise them. I think you raise them by doing two things. Number one is you say, if you're going to accept any, any public money, then first you have to go to a two-year community college. That means enrollment there is going to skyrocket. You have to go to a two-year community college. And by going to that college, you're going to get the basics down. Since we know that LA Unified and most school districts are severely lacking. I mean, crisis lacking in any significant percentage of students that are reading, writing, and arithmetic at grade level. It's just not happening. 
I mean, look at Baltimore school. Zero. Baltimore. You know, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, right next to Washington, D.C. You remember that? Yeah. Zero kids being able to be competent at grade level. You have universities changing their admission guidelines because otherwise they would be empty. There'd be very few kids there. Right, You have uh, universities discriminating against Asian students because for whatever reason, their families, their parents, their two-parent families had told them what? Uh, you better get educated. You better go to school. You better do your homework. None of this rap music, playing video games all day long. Whatever it is that young people were doing instead of studying, sorry, Asian students are being discriminated against. What about Oregon, Washington? completely eliminating school districts in some cases, the entire state eliminating any graduation requirements. Like you just hang out. Today you have at LA Unified, you cannot fail a minority student in your class without massive documentation. And this is not me telling you, this is the word of educators that come into my office that secretly are conservative that secretly do not like what the union has done to education, but knows that they would be blackballed, harassed, have seen what has taken place to other people by administration and by other chapter chairs. So look, it's not me telling you this. I don't live in a school. I'm just telling you what actual educators are saying. So here's my thought. You want to go to a four-year school and get a get a student loan? No problem. You go to a two-year community college. You practice, you play. Maybe it takes you three years to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. It doesn't matter. It's okay. You're 17, 18 years old. You're supposed to go, I want to be an astronaut. Nah, no thanks. I thought I did. No, I don't. I really want to be a botanist. Oh, I want to work with animals. Uh, fantastic. That's what you're supposed to do those first couple of years but not at $300 a unit, right? Not at $4,000 for a class. No, no, no. You're supposed to do it at 50 or $100 or $200. We're already subsidizing that school as taxpayers. You know that. Property tax, bond measure X and M and Y and supported. It's for the children. Oh, okay, yeah, young people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Babies, oh, love babies. Nurses, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's support them. Yep, yep, yep. Give them money. We're already doing that. So you, in Arif's plan, it's simple. You have to go to a two-year community college, get that degree, get that uh, competency out of the way. Now, the only places in the United States that call themselves universities are two-year bachelor's degree programs. That's it, two years. You can't do a third year there unless you're continuing on the same study course. That's fine. Upper division only. Only upper division. And guess who's going to pay for it? You as the student, parent, family, or the school's endowment. You see, you have Harvard, Yale, University of Texas, Brown, Columbia, University of Michigan, Penn State. These are universities that have billion, with a B, billions of dollars of money. No problem, kids. The school will pay for it. Why? Because they're selling you a product and they're going to guarantee that product. 
If the university thinks this is such a great idea to get studies in uh, 18th century literature by gay women dressed like men who have one foot shorter than the, you know, longer than the other and, and walk with a limp, uh, I want to see those authors. But who's paying for that school, for that class, that student? The university. Right? If you're not going to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic, if you're not going to teach the social fabric of the United States is powerful because of different people wanting to be one, not different people wanting to be different. Right? That's very important. If you're a university, then here's what you do. It's very simple. You just go along down this road and say, I'm going to guarantee my product. I have such an awesome product called My College Degrees, says University X. No problem. You pay for it. And the student pays you back. And then it goes back into your endowment, including interest. And because you're, you're a business, right? All of your administrators that you pay your football coach, how much do you pay him? And all the coaches, take a look on the sidelines every Saturday. <laughs> look how many people are on that sideline. They all get paid. Most well into the six-figure category. Do the math. Oh, no, Arab summer students that want to be trainers. Yeah, I get it. But did they not pay for their attire? Yeah, their their equipment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, their transportation? Yeah. Benefits? Mm-hmm. Electricity for their office? Space for them to, to sit, work out, equipment to train? You understand. Well into the six figures probably for every single person. So universities, you guys just pay for it. It's okay. I don't care what you do with your money. It's your money. Somebody wants to donate it to you, let them donate it to you. That's their business. Now, many people have walked around this world and said, you know, the, the university system is broken. Look, it's only broken because the wrong people pay for it. You and I pay for something we're never going to use. The plumber who, who works very hard to provide for his or her family pays for something they're never going to use. So somebody has to pay for it. Why not the person that's using it? And then the university will crack down on all the crazy protesting because they're like, uh, we need to be paid back. So you guys better be paying attention. And if not, then the university takes a loss. That's all right. It's their money. Colleges can decide what loans they want to give or not give. And they can do so based on one simple idea. Who's going to pay it back? If you want to give more money to minority students, to black students, white students, Asian students, fat students, skinny students, students that wear glasses, it doesn't matter to me. Why? It's your money. So you can't deny admission from an Asian student. Why? Because they'll probably pay for it themselves. Or if they borrow money, they will pay you back. Now, maybe the other students will too. Of course, I'm not saying they won't. But my point is, if you're a business, you're going to look and say, who's got a career that will pay me back? So it doesn't matter if they're Asian, black, white, tall, skinny, short. It doesn't matter. What matters is, are you going to pay me back? And then the university can decide what programs it wants to offer. So if it wants to offer some obscure program taught by a guy dressed like a girl, you can do that. If students want to take it, let them take it. It's their money.
or the school's money. It isn't my money as a taxpayer. You see the difference? See where it starts to flip? All of a sudden, schools go, oh, well, wait a second. You see, all of a sudden, uh, College of the Canyons in Santa Clarita would probably, pro- maybe sort of probably wouldn't be paying five, uh, 50, five, zero, $50,000 a month for their chancellor. When you add benefits, when you add pension fund, when you add salary, $50,000 a month. Have you asked yourself, wait a second, did you say community college or Harvard? Was it Stanford? What was that again? Because how is a community college affording to pay the number two person 300000 400,000, right? Just take the top eight. What are, what are we at? Three or 4 million for the top six, eight people? 12, uh, 10 people, you're up what? $5 million? How is a community college, and they're not alone. I'm picking on them just because I know the numbers. Ask yourself, how does Diane Van Hook make that kind of money from the public, from people who have to move because they can't afford to live in Santa Clarita or Castaic? Or Saugus. How, how, how do you do that? How does LA Community Colleges pay for their chancellor, for their people? How, how can you afford to do that when you're saying, I have to leave the West Side. I just can't live in the city anymore. Because my property taxes and assessments just keep going up. It's difficult, isn't it? All of a sudden, when they're spending their own money, suddenly I think things would change, won't they? when it's not government money, when it's not your taxpayer money. And even if you think you don't pay taxes, and a lot of p- people in California, by the way, don't, you still do. Because when you go to the grocery store, they pay taxes, and you realize that you're going to pay more money so that they can pay their taxes. You understand that? You realize you're going to pay more money when you go get gas. Y- yeah, $6 a gallon. It's two and three dollars, two dollars and fifty cents less per gallon in half the country. And we pull oil, we pull oil out of the ground here, right? Wilmington, down in Pico Rivera. We pull it, lift it up, poof, drive it down the street to the refinery. You don't even have to get on the freeway, really. Refine it, which means oil turns into a lot of different things, including gasoline. The gas station is right down the street. Put it in a truck. Again, don't even get on the freeway. Drive it down the street. Turn the gasoline into my car. And then I drive my car. Wait a second. What is $2 more a gallon? What did I do? Where it has to go in a pipeline and, and big trucks have to drive it to many, many parts of the country from other parts of the country and has to go and be refined and then drive hours in the other direction to get to a gas station. And yet they're paying less. Huh. You ever ask yourself that? Huh? What what happened to that? Where's that going? If you had reliable retirement income, pension money, social security money, money from annuities that just came in every single month, and you could do whatever you wanted, say whatever you wanted, weren't going to get fired, do it respectfully, but with courage. Fight back, but with honor. 
You can do those things. You see, most people don't want to know something is wrong. Most people just want to think everything is fine and bebop along with their life. Everything's fine. Right? You watch the local news. I love it. I watched it just the other day for some reason. I don't know why. Two, two uh, male youth broke in. And you can see. You can see on the camera that they're male blacks. Uh, listen, I, not all. Very, very few. Come on now. But instead of saying, they said, if you happen to know any two males, five, six to six feet, if you have any information on the crime, give us a call. You didn't even show their picture. You're not even telling us who they are. Right? We used to say uh, uh, in the police department, we have a, a male Hispanic, uh, five, six to five, nine, blue shirt, brown pants, uh, black baseball hat, running southbound. That's how you describe them. Why? Because that's what he is. It's not that he's bad. You're crazy if you think that any male race of whatever is always bad or always good. But they're so afraid of truth that they have to lie about who's committing the crime. They have to lie. Asian hate crime is on the rise. Yeah, not, what was it? 96% is done by uh, blacks against Asians. 96%. Well, it's not Asian hate crime. It's not It's not a, a, everybody has to pay the price. Let's all be aware. It's let's figure out why this is happening. And then you can solve the problem. But if we're all playing pretend, I don't see anything. My eyes are closed, right? It's like you're being found in the closet. When you're four years old, if you close your eyes and your mom opens the closet door, she can't really see you because your eyes are closed. No, no, she still sees you. Folks, it's still happening. Somebody has to tell you, hey, I think there's a problem here. Just saying, we need to figure this out. Why are young minority youth doing this? Why? Right? You have to ask yourself this question. When I drive down at 5 or 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning and I, I go to, to the airport or my office or wherever I'm going and I'm passing industrial areas, I don't see male whites, male blacks, male Asians out there waiting by the Home Depot or the Lowe's or the paint store. I don't. I see male Hispanics. doesn't mean they're bad or good. There's no half Lebanese guys with moms from Michigan out there trying to get a job for 50 bucks or $200 a day, whatever they're charging these days. So, so when you say, oh, there's a problem with work, not for those guys, because they get their, up, their tail up in the morning and they go there. I'm not saying it's right, and I think illegal immigration is wrong, not on a little bit, not, not a little bit, but a lot. It's wrong. But my point is, when can you have an honest conversation and say unemployment is bad, but, but for those people that sit at home and watch TV or play video games or play on their government phone, that's where unemployment or job loss or problems. I, I get it. There's a lot of problems. But you don't get a chance to sit around and, and close your eyes as if you were that four-year-old in the bathroom. Oh, you can't see me, Mom. My eyes are closed. Can't find me. You need to speak with courage. There isn't any one race always, ever, forever. Right? There's generalities. Men happen to be more violent than women. Okay? Some general... Younger people, more susceptible to theft and stealing than older. Not always. I know you have an example. 
I get it. But when you take the dad out of the home, when you tell somebody in their public school for six, eight hours a day that they're a victim, that they're oppressed, that they don't have a chance, and then they go home and there's no dad and mom is doing whatever she's doing, maybe working two jobs, maybe their grandmother is who's raising them and she's working one or two jobs. Yeah, you get it? Nobody's home. So the six or eight hours in that school that's supposed to teaching them to be prepared to go to university or to get a trade job or to go to trade school is instead telling them because of something you cannot control called your race. I can't control how tall I am. I can't control what race, who my parents were. I I don't. I don't control I was born in the United States. I don't get to control that. So don't give me something for something I can't control, but don't take something from me for something I can't control. You see, you need to speak with courage because they shut down Tucker Carlson. You know that in April, he was gone. Why? Not because he didn't have a lot of money. He did. Look at what they're doing to President Trump. You you realize that. These are all made up baloney. Why is that a big deal? Because onesies, twosies, are easy to pick off, which is what they're doing. But when enough of you get out there and you stand up, I don't know if it's a protest walking along. I don't know if it's writing letters. I think it's everything. I think you have to volunteer and get people registered. I think you have to be very, very good at the issues. And so when somebody comes along and says, oh yeah, I saw on channel whatever news, and you say, but that's not true. Let me tell you why. Right? These are very important things. There's a lot of myths out there. I was speaking to a veteran the other day, served in both Iraq and Afghanistan. I said, tell me something most people don't know. After thanking him for his service, he said, well, you know, in uh, Afghanistan culture, we we're up in the Pashtun mountains. He said, there's something called a chai boy. Chai is uh, Arabic for tea, right? Ahwi is coffee. Mai is water, chai is tea. Same in a lot of languages, Persian, uh, Arabic, it's all the same. So chai, chai boys, families will give up to the wealthy men in the community, right? The, the warlords or the, the, the male leadership, these guys with the white beards and the big uh, turbans. They will give up a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy. They will dance. Sometimes they will serve their tea. It's what it's supposed to be. It's like we're pretending that they're pretending that we know that they know. Oh, he's just, a, he's just going to be hired to help with the tea and be mentored by me. No, it was for sex and sexual pleasure. That's what they did with these young boys. Still today, they do it. And American military men and men, oh, men and women were told not to say or do anything. You could hear young boys screaming in. You could hear it every Thursday, by the way, is when they would do this. And then Friday, they would go to prayers. This, these were the crazies. You understand this? this? This is what the American military, you couldn't get involved. We're not here to change their culture. This is what they call normal. Uh, no, it's probably what we would call sick. Mm, just a guess. So men and women on Thursdays, their job would be basically to hide, would be just to kind of disappear, to, to be, go uh, back into their barracks, stay away from the tribal villages and let them do what they will with these 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old boys. Disgusting. 
oh wait, why why couldn't anybody in the military talk about it? Why why couldn't they bring it out? Uh, because they would lose their job and probably even go to jail. So do you understand how power crisscrosses everything? Money is not going to guarantee. Guaranteed income isn't going to guarantee that you will not have problems. You still will. You'll courage comes with a price. Standing up for what's right comes with a price. Standing up and talking about cameras that are needed in schools, that comes with a price. But you're only on this earth for a short bit, right? And how much longer? I don't know about most of you, but there's probably a lot more time behind you than there is in front of you. It is for me, I'm sure. That means if you can remember back, remember back your latest memory, eh, four, five, two, six, ten 10 years old, whatever you can remember, chances are pretty good you're not going to have that kind of memory going forward because there's less time in front of you. So you have to ask yourself, what's important? I get it. You got a job and you have bills. I love it. Bills. What's a bill? Bill is nothing. I have to pay my bills. What does that mean? No, you have to pay your car payment. That means you control car payments. So that I have to pay my car insurance. You control car insurance. So yes, you have to pay bills. I get it. But standing up for what's right. Look, there was a movement some time ago, I think it was New Hampshire, to have a lot of conservatives move to New Hampshire to control both the Senate and the regulatory uh, issues that are happening and said, look, and if we just move in, because it's a small state, if we move in 5,000, 10,000 conservative voters, we could flip this state. I remember that big movement. I don't know what happened. I'm not sure I didn't follow it enough to see if they did it. But it's not uncommon. Go move to the county in the state in which you think is going to make a difference because it's the county. You've heard me talk about House of Cards, right? House of Cards was a great, great show. The first, second season. It will show you how they cheated and flipped the election. It was just a couple of counties. I can't remember if it was Ohio or Nevada, just a couple of counties in, in, the, in the country. Two or three states, two or three counties in each state control the voting machine, surprise you win the election. I actually believe that's what Joe Biden did in his team. Right? You understand that, uh, that the, the, the cheat, the lie, we all know it today. You could see the video of people stuffing the ballot. You get to stand up for that stuff. You get to stand up and say, this is wrong. Not be worried about losing your job. 888-99-RETIRE, 888-997-3847. I'm Eric Hallaby. Stay with me after the break. Your emails when we come back, including one that's very fascinating. I think you'll enjoy. On AM eight seventy, the answer. I'll be right back. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arab makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. security will help you live the life you dream learn about financial power the total financial hour now higher income strategy learn from Arab Halaby learn about financial power the total hey, welcome back to the show the total financial show I'm Arab Halaby this is your place for news talk and information 
Arif Halaby is my name. I'm going to give you my email address. It's Arif at TFSWealth.com. So Arif, A-R-I-F, at T as in Tom, F as in Frank, S as in Sam, W-E-A-L-T-H.com. So Arif at TFSWealth.com. And our phone number, 888-997-3847. That's 888-99-RETIRE. Okay, I want to give you a couple of things. Uh, some, I don't know, maybe it's a word of caution. It's things I've learned about now. We're coming up, I guess, next month, January. January will be 20 years on the radio. Uh, and we've done a lot of shows on different scams and frauds and, and uh, debt and insurance and ways to, to watch out for certain things, protect uh, yourself. Okay, so here's something I want to give you in that flavor of protecting and providing kind of guarantees and protection. Okay, number one. Remember this in the charitable world. The NFL just got in trouble for this. They were doing this NFL military night, right? Remember this, the Army and we, the, the National Football League and the, the Pittsburgh Steelers want to honor Airmen First Class, Corporal so-and-so, right? And they go, yay, everybody claps, and American flags, they salute. It's touching, you always cry, at least I do. I never served in the military, but I know the sacrifice that men and women make, and it's an enormous sacrifice on on many levels, not just physical, but being away from their families. It's a financial sacrifice because you're not paid very well. So all of these things start to you know affect me. Then I find out that the NFL was charging the military to give these honors. The military was having to pay an advertising and a marketing fee to the NFL in order to have military night or the men and women uh, come to the uh, stadium and be honored. In other words, it was like a propaganda deal. It was advertising. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. They actually, the military, paid for this. Uh, okay, they did. But the NFL actually accepted it with all of those millions and billions of dollars that they make. And they accepted that and they called it okay. That's crazy to me. I thought, how in the daylights can that happen? So as a person who, who was, uh, I have formed two charities, sat on the board of about, oh, probably a dozen. And I can tell you a few things that I want you to know about charities. Number one, you have to investigate because not all charities are the same. Some give away uh, five or 10% of what you actually give them. You realize that they will actually have a thousand dollars donated and maybe $50 or a hundred dollars actually gets to the cause, the underlying cause. The rest of it is paid to bring in more money. It's, it's paid out for salaries, for education expenses, so that the CEO and the CFO, in this case, it's called the executive director and his or her staff are trained in Hawaii or Palm Springs. They go get educated in whatever the latest trends are, and that's fine. Okay, wait, wait, wait. What about salaries? Private planes? No, that would never happen. Wait, private planes? You're telling me the American Red Cross has two private jets? Yes, maybe they do. Over $1 million a year 
it's what I don't understand. How did Elizabeth Dole, already a wealthy person, Elizabeth Dole, I'm going back a couple decades when she was the president of the American Red Cross. How did she think it was okay to take a million dollars a year from that organization? I don't know. I guess somewhere in your mind, you come up with a, 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 a rational solution. Right, her husband was Senator Bob Dole, presidential candidate for the Republican Party. A charity case, one that we knew was never going to really amount to anything. Right, same thing with John McCain. Both of those men, probably nice people, I'm guessing. Right, I don't know, but probably I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But but had no business running for president, no business, zero. Except they paid their dues with the party. There's really no other standout, nobody else that they thought could beat. So, hey, listen, we'll throw a bone. This is Bill Clinton under Bob Dole's uh, tenure, right? Bill Clinton was a president, very popular president. So we'll put Bob Dole up. We're going to lose anyway. Bill Clinton is going to win. So why not just get check a box and say, thanks for being a guy who, who gave to the party for so long, Mr. Loyalist. John McCain, same thing. Barack Obama, very popular president, running for a second term. Let's just let's just throw up a patsy. So we'll let John McCain run and war hero. You know, we'll we'll look. We'll check a couple boxes. We'll look good. No business running for president. Many will say his temper was far too volatile to be president of the United States. But those are just people that knew him, not me. So I share that with you because Elizabeth Dole, during that period of time, was taking a million dollars a year. Today, maybe two million is what the equivalent would be, including a private jet wherever you wanted to go, including staff and a car and uh, housing allowance. And da, 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 da. by the time you're done, it's millions. What about today? All right, when goodwill is not really what you think it is, goodwill has a retail operation that makes millions of dollars a year profit for the owner. Yeah, it's a, it's a for-profit on one side and a non-profit on the other. They've mastered the ability to market. I used to have a lot of faith in Salvation Army, not so much anymore. So my point with you is, do your research. Some of them are great. Some of them are good enough for you to still donate to. You might say, listen, I, I understand that the Red Cross is corrupt and has layers of money still tied up yet to be delivered to Haiti, for example, sitting in their bank account, being used by the things. I, I get it. But man, I'll feel good. It's the giving season, right? Thanksgiving's coming up. Happy Thanksgiving to most of you. I'm probably not going to see or talk to most of you before then, but it's a giving season. So how do you find out? Most of the time, if a charity is advertised on a platform, that platform takes a piece of the donation. 20%, 15%, 30 50%, I don't know. So if you understand that just donate some money, help the children, help the old people, help the veterans, help the wounded, whatever. Okay, great. How much do they actually get at the end of the story? Do your research. Charity Navigator, Charity Watch. Those are two different websites, both good. 
right? CharityWatch.org, Charity Navigator. You can put the name of the charity in there. Sometimes they have a grade. Most of the time they do. Some of the smaller, more obscure, or the recent charities may not be in there. So you want to do some research. And plus you can even go, every charity has to file, I think it's called a 5,500. 5,100 or 5,500, my mind escapes me at the minute. But it is a form that is public because it's a nonprofit. It's a public entity. So what this means, and it's very simple, is to understand what is the nonprofit? Is it a for-profit nonprofit? What's the difference between a 501c3 and a 501c4? Because we're coming up into that season. So let me give you a little bit of a breakdown before I get to the, uh, the letters, your emails. Okay, both nonprofit types, they have unique restrictions, pros and cons. So to compare a 501c3, because guess where it's found in the IRS code? 501, subsection C, subsection 3. Get it? What about the next one? Oh, that's one down. Why? Because it's 501c, one down is 4. So what's the difference between a 501c3 and a 501c4? Simple. A 501c3 is a nonprofit operated for charitable, religious, educational, literate literacy, or like a literary group, scientific, public safety testing, animal care, animal cruelty care, children uh, cruelty care, right, for, for uh, kids that are abused. So a lot of varieties. It's designed for a charity, which means the donation is a tax write-off, the interest that it earns inside of its bank accounts and selling a building, selling a pro uh, property, selling intellectual property product, selling t-shirts, whatever they sell at a 501c3, the interest, the income, the donations, all tax-free. All right, that's a 501c3. The wages aren't. Realize people can make a million dollars a year at a, at a charity. <laughs> you understand? It's a non, oh, it's a nonprofit. It doesn't mean anything. The charity can still buy me a brand new car every year. The charity can still put in a half a million dollars a year to my retirement planning. The charity can put in a million dollars in my salary. The charity, anything I want. It's just the company doesn't pay taxes on its earnings. All right, so just because something is a charity doesn't mean people aren't making a killing. In fact, it's the best way to become quite wealthy, actually, is to own a charity, to build a charity. It was L. Ron Hubbard that said, one of the best ways to be wealthy is to start a religion. <laughs> he figured it out. All right, what about his 501c4? The advantages of a 501c4, now, first of all, realize they are for political or lobbyist where you have a position, a political public position on candidates. And the job is specifically to influence that. So you'll hear this term super PAC. That's a political action committee where lots of money is being put into it. Now, they have to pay tax on some of their money. They have certain requirements, but it's a 501c4. It's not designed for children or educational purposes for orphans, nurses, whatever. It's designed for one thing, political influence. So 501c4 
would be politically influenced. Okay, just kind of know that. Know the difference between the two as we're coming up into the charitable gifting time. I want you to do your research, charitywatch.org, Charity Navigator, a couple good places to start. All right, let's take a look at a letter that I have. This is, uh, I think, impacting a lot of you, could impact a lot of you. I know it is something close to my heart because my kids have moved as well. And that's what this is all about. Dear Earth, my kids have all moved out of state and have no plans to return. Both of them live about 30 minutes from each other. And my biggest concern is that I will not be around when they start having children, which is her grandchildren. We are thinking about buying a house close to them so that when they start to have children, we can move there full time. We want to spend time with them as much as possible each year, but I'm concerned about paying for two mortgages into retirement, especially at today's interest rates. So I thought about taking out a second mortgage on my primary house. I would then refinance it later when interest rates come down. Do you think that's a good idea? My other thought is to use my old 401k, uh, my old 401k plan from my job, my old job, and use that to pay off the second home. We're also thinking about using it for vacation rentals when we're not there. Okay. So do you see the problem, guys? They want to buy two houses, one that they're currently living in, actually, but they want a second house for their vacation rentals. I get it. Because they want to live there when they want to live there, rent it out when they're not there. Here's the challenge. I'll give you the pros and cons with this. Number one is, if you have one of the bedrooms or one of the closets or something that's a lockout, which means it's basically a deadbolt. I want you to have a solid core steel door, something that nobody can get into. I want you to have a camera on the inside of that room. That's legal. Outside is not. But inside of the room, so if anybody breaks into that room or comes into the room, you can see it. And so you might have a four-bedroom house and only three bedrooms of it are available for rental. So you advertise it as such. The fourth is not for them. Or a three-bedroom, you advertise it as a two-bedroom because the third is locked out. Steel core door, camera on the inside if anybody comes in. Now, why do I think that might be a good idea? Well, I don't know. You didn't say where they actually live, your two children. So here's what I would say. They live about 30 minutes from each other. Maybe you're in between them. Maybe you're closer to one than the other. But here's the thing. Be close to someplace that has a college or a sports team. Something, whether it's a university and there's college games, right? Six or eight times, uh, 10 times a year. Sports teams, right? A professional athletic team, something. So that there is a reason for people that want a vacation there. If you're just buying in the middle of wherever and there isn't any real attraction, you might not have a lot of activity on the uh, vacation rental side. And you need to make sure when you buy it that the city and the homeowners association, yes, both of them, are okay with short-term rentals because not every place is. Some cities completely outlaw it or they have certain sections of the town that do allow it, right? This neighborhood, that neighborhood over here, but not over there. So if you want to buy a place that you're going to consider to rent on occasion and you want to do it legally, which is what I recommend, you make sure you find out what communities that are close to them allow it. And if you're next to a, a sporting stadium or maybe a national park, like think of attraction. What is the attraction for somebody that would want to rent it uh, for a week or a weekend or a long weekend? That's the key. 
because that will allow you to have that second home and maybe offset some of the costs. Now, going back to your idea of getting a second mortgage on the house, what I'd ha- what I would consider, and it's still available, is something called a home equity line of credit, HELOC. It is a second on the home, meaning it's a it's a lien against the house, but it's usually interest only repayment. That means it's much lower. And you're basically paying nothing towards the principal. You can, but it isn't designed for you to. It's designed for you just to pay for the price of using that money for a period of time until the time comes for rates to come back down. Maybe it's two years, maybe it's four. When rates return back to normal, uh, that we called normal anyway for the last 20 years, three and 4%, well, great. Then probably you'll have a chance to refinance that house. So just keep that in mind. Consider a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, on your primary house and use that instead. You can always make bigger payments, and maybe you should. But it's going to be the least expensive way for you to do it because a second on your house may not give you as much. I mean, there's just different rules associated with it. And see what's available. See what a a lender will give you. What else do I want you to pay attention to? Well, the biggest problem that people do is that 401k retirement account and they take it out to buy big chunks, lump sum purchases. That is not just a small mistake people make. It is a huge mistake. Now, barring any extreme, right? The bell curve all the way on one end or all the way on the other, barring any, any, any extreme, not one extreme that you make up. I didn't say that. No, no, no. Barring any real extreme. Okay. Never use your retirement account to buy a house. Never. Why? Simple. You have to pay taxes on all that money. Oh, Eric, if I can use a, a self-directed IRA and I yes, you can, but you can't use the, the house. Somebody else has to use it. It's, it becomes a rental. Your family, yourself, you're not allowed to use a house that your retirement account purchases Unless you're going to pay taxes on that retirement account. You pay taxes on that retirement account, you can use it all day long if you want. doesn't matter. But let's say the house is $300,000, right? If that's the vacation home. Uh, how, how much do you think in taxes you have to pay? You say, well, Eric, I need three hundred dollars to buy the house. Well, you're probably going to have to pull out $450,000. You give the government one hundred and fifty, dollars then you give $300,000 to pay cash for the house. So the house didn't cost you 400,000 uh, or 300,000. No, no, not 300, 450. So do not take a retirement account to buy a house or an RV or to pay for your child's college. Retirement account is for retirement. What does that mean? Retirement is about income. Every month, here's 5,000 a month, 2,000 a month, whatever the number is. 600, 600. It never ends. And it only goes up is the best way to do it. Right? You want to have the ability to go up with the market. You want to have the ability to make money with the stock market or the index or a fixed account like a money market. If that's fine, if that's what you want to do, make sure you're not paying taxes on that money unless you have to. There's rules. So why is it poor people are poor? It's very simple. Poor people are poor because they use accounts for things that it's not intended. 
right? You'll take a cash advance on your credit card to pay for your student loans. Or you'll use credit cards to buy dinner and not pay it off. I'm okay if you use credit cards, just another means of payment. But when you don't pay it off, it now becomes debt. So a meal that you ate three weeks ago, you're still paying for until the next billing cycle, which means you're paying interest on that meal. Right? So what do poor people do? Well, they borrow money from the house to pay off credit card debt. They use retirement accounts for their children's college. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. Retirement is for retirement. College is for college. Very important you understand that. Oh, but Arif, home equity, I have home equity. Great. Use it to fix up the house. Oh, I'm an expert in rental property. Fantastic. If you want to use it to buy or flip rental properties, you want to use it, right? Real estate is for real estate. Most of you don't have that skill set and you're not willing to go to the, the lengths that it takes to be educated. So you're going to use your family home and you're going to gamble with it. Don't do that. It's your family home. So poor people are poor because they take their paycheck to Vegas. Have you ever thought about this? Go to a casino, the Indian uh, reservation casinos or, or Vegas or Laughlin, wherever you might go. Have you ever thought, take your entire savings account and put it on red. Would you do that? Put it on, on you know, this seven on, on craps table. You would say, Eric, that's crazy. I wouldn't do that. No, but you take it and you put it all in the stock market and have no clue what you're doing. Right? No wonder you've lost money. And it's the ladies that will tell us privately. Husband gets up to go to the restroom and the lady looks at me and she goes, he has no idea what he's doing. I know he's an engineer at, at Rockwell, Boeing, Lockheed, whatever people, uh, brilliant guy, but he has no clue how the market works. And he keeps losing our money and, oh, hi, yes, hi, hi, welcome back. Have a seat. Right? She's scared to, <laughs> scared to say it because she's probably told him and he's used big words, big words, big words. I use the dialogics of the program where I'm using the application of the, and she just looks at him and says, okay, great, but, but you put in this and we have less. You could be as smart as you want, but when you guys work with your brokers or, or if one of the two spouses or the smart ones in the family, supposedly with air quotes, and you get to the place where you put money in, the only measurement today, one year ago, did I make money? Did I lose money? When I put money into this account and today, what did it cost me and what is it worth? How much did I put in? How much did I make? And what did it cost me to get there? That's it. All of the fancy algorithms and charting and graphs and double calendar with spreads and, and iron cross, you know, all these things that we have said in charting classes. And that's irrelevant. Most of you, it's what did I put in? What is it worth today? And what did it cost me to get there? And did I make money? You see, you want to speculate or play around, you can do that in the market. Fine. But retirement needs predictability because no matter what, unless you pass away, you're going to be retirement age someday, 65, 67, 70, whatever that age is. That's coming. That's a for sure thing. Making money in the market is not a for sure thing. Having that money there or more or a reasonable gain when you reach there, that's, that's unknown. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. These are important ideas.
because this is your life savings. Stay with me after the break. I have another email. I think this is a brilliant one because it gives us a good idea of what it takes to be successful when we come back. I'm Eric Hallaby, triple eight ninety nine retired. That's eight 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 nine nine seven three eight four seven triple eight ninety nine retire. I'll be right back after the break. Thanks to Arif Halaby. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arif makes your money work for you. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arif Halaby. Hey, that's me. Welcome back. I'm Arif Halaby, the Total Financial Hour, your place for just talking information. I love that you're with me here every week at this time. I, listen, I want to say uh, hello to a lot of you that are listeners. Uh, Donna, you're a great, uh, great lady. Thank you for being a part of the show. Many of you guys are listening to the show on a regular basis, and that uh, does mean a lot to me. I appreciate it. We're talking about your family's finances. What does it take? to get out of debt, manage money, and plan for the future if you don't understand all of them are related to each other. And that's what most people don't get, right? They don't understand that if you're spending money on debt, then you can't save it for retirement. If you're saving money in retirement, well, then you can't go out to eat at night and spend it unless you're going to go into debt. You see how the circle works? So the goal is to make sure that everything that you're doing kind of works together. And it's scary because nobody ever teaches you This is a very hard thing, a hard lesson to understand, because when you realize that teachers are great at math, reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? That's what they're supposed to be teaching anyway. You wouldn't ever ask a shop teacher who's brilliant at putting together an engine, which by the way, to me, those guys are, uh, you know, very (laughs) computer guys and folks that can look at a motor and an engine and tear it apart. To me, that you guys are geniuses. I can figure out a lot of other things. But that, mm, that's pretty dang hard to, to figure out. But I wouldn't ask my shop teacher to teach a biology class. Why? Because it's not his level of expertise. Right? He's going to tell you, look, hey, listen, if you need to tear apart a 1982 Volvo, I can do that. But I have no clue about photosynthesis or whatever, <laughs> biology terms. So why would you expect your teachers to teach you financial literacy? Most of them are not bad people, but they have a pension. They have a job that with a paycheck. They work eight and a half months out of the year. They get paid by somebody else. They have to deal with a lot of baloney, a lot of crud from administrative people from the state level on down. Principals. Some of you principals listen to the show. I want you to know you're in a unique position to make people's lives better or worse. Get your private stuff out of the way. Nobody cares about your private stuff. You said, put me up as an assistant principal or a principal. When you raised that hand and said, pick me, then you better realize you're impacting the lives of educators who in turn impact the lives of students. So principals, you have a lot of responsibility. Yes, you take the flack from the top. Yes, you do. Your job is to not give it to the ones below you. Just a little private note. Some of you know who I'm talking about. All right, here's the, here's the important part, guys. You have to care for yourself. 
You do. You're not going to get it from your teachers. You're not going to get it from universities. You're not going to get it probably from your parents. You're definitely not going to get it from TV or politicians. You have to seek it out. The knowledge, the education, the time, the experience. You have to seek out what it takes to be successful, whatever that means to you. Right? Success to you is different than success to me. It's different than your, sometimes even your own partner. Each of you have a different definition, which means you're going to a different place. The definition of success is also the destination for your future. Those are two different places. So you need to know that. All right, grab your pen and paper. I'll wait a second. Give you a chance to do this. You need to do this. All right, even if you deleted it when I'm done, even if you say, oh, that was dumb and you delete it, go ahead and delete it. I don't care. That's fine. But you need to write it down or put it in your phone. If you listen to me, that means you trust me at least a little bit. Okay? And I appreciate that. All Any trust I can get from you, I appreciate. Thank you. That means I'm asking you to write this down. It's very serious. It's not a small thing. All right, number one. I want you guys, husband and wife, partners, whoever you are, right? Whoever you call a life partner, even if you're not married, you get it? Person you say that, that you're going to spend your rest of your life with, you each write this down. I want you to tell me what you would do with a million dollars. Let's call it 10 million. What would you do with $10 million? What would you do with $10 million? That means you're going to do it. You're going to write it down. So is your partner. Different times, different people. You're going to write it separately. I want to see it or at least have each other look at it later. What would you do with $10 million? Second, describe your perfect day. Describe your perfect day. All right. Describe your perfect day. Tell me what that's all about. All right. Once you finish that, I want you to do this. How do you want to be remembered? How would you like to be remembered? All right. If both of you do this and you write this down and you come up with, with uh, maybe the same or different, but you need to know it so that you can be on the same road together. So that you're saving for the same things. You want to spend time in the same places. And your destination, how you want to be remembered, is also the same place. Okay, Gail and Jim. Gail wrote this for her and her husband. Let me read you her email. Oh, let me give you my email address since your pen is out. Arif, A-R-I-F, Arif at TFSWealth.com. Arif, A-R-I-F, at T-F-S, Tom, Frank, Sam, T is in Tom, F is in Frank, S is in Sam, T-F-S-Wealth.com. All right. Arif at T-F-S-Wealth.com. Send me your emails. This is from Gail and Jim. Dear Arif, my husband and I make $210,000 per year between the two of us. Our jobs have given us a great life, but they do not offer any pensions. So we've had to plan for our own future retirement needs. He is currently 61 and I'm 59 years old. His current retirement account is about $550,000.
and his old one is 400,000. Okay, so keep that in mind. It's four, it's 950,000, all right? His current one is 550, old one is 400. Continuing. My current plan has about $760,000. I will bring in about $3,400 a month in social security and he will receive about 4,000 a month in about 6 years. Both of us in about 6 years. He will be 67 years old and I will be 65. I want to retire at the same time he does, so I will not get my full retirement age, uh, my full retirement amount, rather. It's called an FRA, full retirement amount. We have about $100,000 saved in a CD and our, in our credit union and about another $60,000 saved in our savings accounts. My husband plays in the stock market, but doesn't seem to make any real money. His balance goes up a little bit and down a little bit each and every year, and the fees seem to eat up any real profits. Sincerely, Gail and Jim. Okay. I touched on that, right? Your job is not to be a stock market person. I would guess he's probably an engineer of some sort, right? I'm guessing he, uh, you know, is, is somebody... Look, most of us guys, we think we're smart, right? Everybody thinks they're smarter than average, better looking than average, nicer than average, right? All of us. So it doesn't matter who... I don't know anybody who says, you know what, I'm probably less than average good looking uh so anyway all right continuing with this uh, why is this important to you because i think you guys need to understand that if jim wants to play in the stock market with his with his other little account that's fine let him do that as long as we secure the rest of his life savings right if you want to go to vegas or, or play the horses in santa anita or, or wherever they hollywood park one of those doesn't exist anymore i, I don't know but let's say you go to those places and you say, I'm going to play Santa Anita the horses. Fine. It's entertainment. Take a couple of hundred dollars, 500, five, whatever you can afford to lose. And if you happen to make money, fantastic. I was with a friend of mine who's Muslim and he gambles. It's, it's a haram is what it's called to gamble. You're not allowed to gamble, but they do. As long as you, the, the rules, it's very unique, right? They, there's a little game little word game they play. You can gamble as long as you don't keep the proceeds. So if they win, they give it to charity. Now, I don't know if all Muslims do that. My friend did, but that's what he does. So they play a little bit. They put in 500 bucks, let's say, and they win $100. They can keep the 500, but the $100 has to go to charity. Interesting, huh? Eh, listen, man, word salad is the name of the game today with a lot of groups. Okay, so here's why it matters. With Gail and Jim, Jim's account has 950000 You can do what's called an in-service rollover. That means you can pick up the account, even while he's still employed, most, most employers, pick it up and move it if you're older than age 59 and a half. Now, he can still contribute to it. He still has it as an open account. I would probably leave $100,000 behind, maybe a little more, but right around 100000 Now, why would I do that? Simple. Because I want to make sure that if he ever needs to borrow against it, if there's any kind of catastrophic emergency, he has money, different layers, right? Savings, CD, probably has cash at home, right? So you have emergency money in your pocket. Then you have a savings account. Swipe it with a, uh, an ATM card. Then you have a CD that you can access, but maybe with some penalties. So we're laddering up. But if worst case scenario, he needs extra money, you can borrow from your 401k $100,000, 
well, sorry, 50,000 up to a, a hundred. In other words, 50%. Let me be clear. Let me back up. So you can borrow 50,000, 50%, no more than a hundred thousand. So I would leave a hundred thousand dollars in his account because he can borrow 50,000 of it. If he only had 60,000, he could borrow 30. If he had 200,000, he could still only borrow 50,000. That's the maximum. All right. So I would leave about 100,000 as a backup of a backup if he needed to borrow it, right? Okay, fine. But that other 950 minus 100, so let's call it 850, maybe 800, I would ladder it in a couple of different fixed and fixed indexed annuities for his future. Why? Because the stock market solution, the risk solution is being answered at his 401k. You can take a little bit more risk in your 401k because every two weeks we're buying, buying, buying. There's a matching, there's a program, put money in, matching program. That means we're buying when the market's high, we're buying when the market's low, buying when it's high, low. So you're accumulating shares. That's the job of your retirement account is to accumulate shares. And because we don't know today is the market high, is it low? I don't know. Nobody knows. So if you're buying constantly, your dollar cost averaging, it's a great place to get a tax deferral dollar cost averaging. However, if we pick wrong and the market is down in a few years when they're ready to retire, oops, what do you do? Do you still work? Because you can't access your money because you're going to sell at a big loss. So what we would do is take out a big chunk of it today, move it over. I'd put it in probably two separate accounts. And in five or six years, seven years, whenever they're done working completely, we would start the income. And that, plus their social security, I would be pretty comfortable giving them somewhere in the neighborhood of, well, his will be 4,000, hers is 3,400, that's $7,400. I would probably be comfortable with another, maybe, let's call it 5,000 a month. So we'd be right in the neighborhood of, oh gosh, $12,000 a month? Gail, Jim, is that enough to live on? Or can you live comfortably? With come heck or high water, $12,000 a month coming in and guaranteed and never going away? Now, the reason I would leave some behind in Gail's account, and I would probably push it off to the side, is because when one of them passes away, we lose the lower of the two social security checks. So that means $3,400, poof, is gone. When one of them pass away, might be, God willing, decades from now, Gail, it's usually you that lives, and we're going to lose the lower of the two Social Security checks. Today, it's 3400 I would turn on your 760000 to replace that, right? Yesterday, you had a Social Security check, and if Jim passed away first, poof, the next month, we turn on your income and the 3400 comes right back to normal. Yes, there's a cost for us to eat, right? But as we get older, we don't really eat that much as we did when we were younger, right? I had teenage and 20-year-old sons. They ate a lot more than I do at, in my 50s and, and 40s, 50s, and 60s, right? You don't, you don't eat the same. So I get it. It's not going to be a huge cost difference. But there is an extra car. Okay. But all of the utilities at the house, maybe water is a difference a little bit. But if, if I turn on the electricity, if I turn on the air conditioning, it doesn't matter if there's two of us in the house or one or six. Same thing with the light. The light is not dependent 
on a, on a, how many people are in the house? It's just the lights on. So utilities, property taxes, you're not going to see that much of a change. So that 3,400 that came in each month, well, you were spending it. What I don't want you to do is get into trouble, right? I don't want you to get to a place where you're in trouble financially. And because he passed away, we lost everything, right? I don't want that to happen. You want to ladder your accounts. You want to build in redundancy. And look, uh, Jim, I, I appreciate you, you being somebody that enjoys the ability to trade, right? A lot of people are day traders. That's fine. Go and do that. But the actual number of people that play versus those that are professionals and make a living at it. There are professional gamblers, but there are also professional bowlers. But a lot of us bowl and we're never going to make a living at it. Or we play billiards. Same thing. You can shoot pool all day long. There are some that are going to make millions, just not you. Right? Golf. Lots of people play golf. I enjoy golf. Never going to make a penny at it. Not me. I enjoy it, but I could never be a professional. So you can enjoy. It's the same thing like gambling. It's the same thing like playing the stock market. You might be the one that selects to be, you know, that becomes the smart one in the story. Wow, you figured out something. Some people do. But most people don't. They just end up broke or more broke than they ever were. If you say, I'm doing this to spend time or to be with the guys or to keep my mind active, all valid points, I'm good with you. You want to go down to the pool home, pool house and shoot pool, go for it. You want to go down and play golf every Saturday or Wednesday, go for it. That's fine. But you're not going to take the mortgage and say, I'm going to buy a membership at Pebble Beach or Augusta, two big, very expensive golf courses, hundreds of thousands of dollars to be members. You're not going to say, I'm going to sell my rental property so that I can afford the best lessons and golf attire and golf clubs that are matched to me to laser matched perfect because it's a, it's a game. It's a toy. Okay, so so very important you realize the difference. Many of you think you're smarter than, than you are. Understand that whenever you're buying or selling, oh, Eric, I'm going to buy XYZ stock, selling Tesla, buying Amazon, whatever you want to do. Somebody on the other side of the trade, right, if you're buying, they're selling. If you're selling, they're buying. Now, is it another sucker in the story who thinks it's a good idea to sell and you go, man, this is the best time to buy. So one of you is right. You both can't be right. One of you thinks it's a great time to sell. One thinks it's a great time to buy. Are you that confident in your, quote, system? Maybe. But prove yourself before you risk your life savings. Prove yourself before you can't get the time back. And the money is the same as it was when you started. Or, or worse. Because you realize if the market goes up, you make money. But so does your broker. So does Wall Street. When it goes down, guess what? You lost money, and guess who still makes money? That's right. When it stays the same, and you didn't make any money, you didn't lose any money, you lost time, but guess who never lost a penny? Yeah, your broker, Wall Street. So wouldn't it be nice if you could be in a position to where you just don't lose? 
You want to risk money? We can risk it. There's places to put it. There's things you can do. Great. But not your life savings. All right. I want to continue here with uh, my last real comments here before the top of the hour. I think you guys have to realize that the the, the press today, I was watching uh, CNN earlier, so you don't have to. <laughs> I think it was Rush Limbaugh who says that. I, I read the LA Times, so you don't have to, or New York Times. So he, he did the, that was always funny. So it's not me taking credit for it. But I watched CNN and they were interviewing Ron DeSantis. And here's my problem. You realize that Jake Tapper, those guys, they just don't like President Trump. They don't like him because he doesn't respect them. He doesn't put them in a position of authority or in awe. Because he is not in awe of them. And President Trump and Governor DeSantis, you know, were friends and they still are probably, I hope. I don't know what's going to happen with the election, but I can tell you, I think both men would make great presidents. I think President Trump, if he comes in, it would be an amazing shot in the arm for this economy. Do I think Ron DeSantis has a chance? He's probably the only one that does. Right, I think if they start to come down to it, you would see a DeSantis and a Haley ticket one way or the other would form to create something. But I, I don't, listen, I don't agree with everybody. I don't agree with President Trump 100% of the time. I don't agree with Ron DeSantis. Right, I, lo- I, I like Larry a lot. Larry and I are friends. I didn't agree with him 100%. So, so what? I don't agree with my wife 100% of the time. So I want to encourage you to find the candidate that you can agree with more so than you disagree. Not that you have zero disagreements. Of course you're going to have disagreements. And then I want you to work for them. I want you to to register people to vote. I want you to learn about the issues and stand up and take the shots and debate and discuss. But Eric, if I don't do that, I'm afraid. Then you figure something out. Lick envelopes. Get on the phone. Whatever your strength is. You make sure that you volunteer. You have to. There was a group of us discussing worst case scenario. What would happen if, what would happen if, like if the the socialist, if the left wing continues to operate in America's biggest countries, uh, sorry, biggest states and cities, what would happen in this country if the left wing continues to control the DAs, the mayors? I think you would end up with maybe three or four different countries. I think China would support it. I think the U.S. would break up, cease to exist as a nation, and there would be three or four countries formed out of the United States. That's probably the 20 or 25-year timeline because it takes a bit for that to happen. It's not going to be good. It will be a civil war of sorts. That is, I think, what we're playing for. I think we're playing for a preservation of the union without any exaggeration. This is not a small problem. And some of you are retired and in your 70s or 80s and you're you're closer to, to passing than not. Maybe this last five years or so of your life is going to be about fighting and not just watching reruns on TV or sitting on the patio. Maybe it's about standing up for something. Imagine that for a minute. What? Standing up, yes. 
Maybe it's about finding that inner child or high schooler or teenager that fought for something when you thought it was right. And everybody made fun of you, so you just didn't fight back. Well, finally, you do now because what do you have to lose? Nothing. Nothing. They're not going to take anything from you. All right, so so figure that out. I think that's our best hope is you. And I think the only way we can ever fight back is to have a level of involvement by people like yourself. And also, finally, I want to encourage you to, to reach out. I think somebody like Dinesh D'Souza needs your support. And Dan Bongino, Police State. It's a great movie. We're going to be showing it coming up. Uh Get it. We're getting it on the calendar. So if you want to be a part, come to a free showing of Police State. I'm going to pay for it. I'm renting a movie theater, maybe a couple of them in a couple of different locations. I want you to give us a call. We're going to be showing the movie for free. I think I'll probably even give out some popcorn and, and some soda, usually candy, something like that. And I want you to come and watch Police State. I'm paying for it. Give me a call at 888-997-3847, 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. Especially if you want to come and watch Police State, get on the list. Sign up for it so we can find out how big of a theater to rent, etc. There'll be more of a formal advertise, uh, uh, invitation coming out later. So, Thanks for being part of the show. I'm Arif Hallaby. This is the Total Financial Hour. Your place for news, talk, and information. I always like that you are here and a part of our program. Have a blessed weekend and happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy it with the ones you love. And remember who you're thanking. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to AM 870 The Answer. Learn about 